Good morning, faithful listener. You are listening to the Bible Explained podcast, where the Bible gets explained. So grab your cup of coffee and stay tuned as we read through the book of Deuteronomy. Howdy and good morning, faithful listeners. This is your host, Jen, with the Bible Explained podcast. And today is Wednesday, so we are discussing the Old Testament today. We're going to be discussing Deuteronomy chapter 14, verses 1 through 21 today. So go ahead and grab your Bible and your cup of tea or coffee. And let's go ahead and read this together and enjoy God's word. But before we begin, let me know how you thought of the past two episodes that I did with Casey and then my sister, Jamie, because those were a lot of fun to do. So let me know if you enjoy having the occasional guest. Tell me if you prefer if it's just me. Tell me if you prefer it if it's just me and my sister. I'd love to hear some of this feedback so you can find all the contact information in the bio of the podcast episode. Faithful listeners, like I said, grab that cup of coffee or that cup of tea and let's go ahead and read Deuteronomy chapter 14 verses 1 through 21 today. I'll be reading at the W.E.B. version or the World English Bible. You are the children of Yahweh your God. You shall not cut yourselves nor make any baldness between your eyes for the dead. For you are a holy people to Yahweh your God, and Yahweh has chosen you to be a people for his own possession, above all peoples who are on the face of the earth. You shall not eat any abominable thing. These are the animals which you may eat, the ox, the sheep, the goat, the deer, the gazelle, the roebuck, the wild goat, the ibex, the antelope, and the camois. Every animal that parts the hoof and has the hoof split in two and chews the cud among the animals you may eat. Nevertheless, you shall not eat of them that chew the cud or of those who have the hoof split, the camel, the hare and the rabbit. Because they chew the cud, but don't part the hoof, they are unclean to you. The pig, because it has a split hoof, but doesn't chew the cud, is unclean to you. You shall not eat their meat. You shall not touch their carcasses. These you may eat of all that are in the waters. You may eat whatever has fins and scales. You shall not eat whatever doesn't have fins and scales. It is unclean to you. Of all clean birds you may eat, but these are they which you shall not eat, the eagle, the vulture, the osprey, the red kite, the falcon, the kite of any kind, every raven of any kind, the ostrich, the owl, the seagull, the hawk of any kind, the little owl, the great owl, and the horned owl, the pelican, the vulture, the cormorant, the stork, the heron after its kind, the hoopoe, and the bat. All winged creeping things are unclean to you. They shall not be eaten. Of all clean birds you may eat. You shall not eat of anything that dies of itself. You may give it to the foreigner living among you who is within your gates, or you may sell it to a foreigner. For you are a holy people to Yahweh your God. You shall not boil a young goat in its mother's milk. Oh, that last verse just keeps coming back. You shall not boil a young goat in its mother's milk. (laughs) I think God repeats this particular phrase like several times throughout scripture. And to clarify on what is going on there, if you guys don't remember, because we did cover this in Leviticus, but basically that was like a very pagan thing to do. It was part of like a pagan uh, tradition of fertility. Apparently they would, for whatever reason boil the the kid in the mother's milk like they you know milk the mother boil the milk and then kill the 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 goat the young baby and boil it and it was like a pagan ritual of fertility and so god mentions this several times 
that they just need to abstain from anything pagan whatsoever. Basically, a lot of the rules that God puts in place in Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, many of them have to do with separation of basically cultic behaviors. In other words, the Israelites were not supposed to be associated with the pagans. They were supposed to be separate, set apart, and different. And I mean, God lays this out really clearly, actually right here at the very beginning in verse one of Deuteronomy 14. He says, you are the children of Yahweh your God. You are a holy people to Yahweh your God. Yahweh has chosen you to be a people for his own possession above all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. And depending on what version you read, sometimes it'll say you are a treasure. And I mean, that that's a really strong word. God thinking of you as a treasure. So because these Israelite people were a treasure to God, a great possession to him, as the W.E.B. says, they were supposed to be acting like a treasure, like a possession of God, a great possession of God. They're supposed to be acting like his children. And they wanted to be his children (laughs) because honestly, it came with a lot of perks, but they had to hold up their end of the bargain in order to be God's children, right? And unfortunately, the Israelites kind of just want God, but they want him from a distance. They want to do whatever they want to do. They don't actually want to follow the laws of God and they want to be like all the nations that are around them and they want to do all this like pagan stuff. That's why we see the Israelites constantly falling back into pagan worship and idolatry all throughout the Old Testament. And I mean, we've already seen it in numbers. I mean, how many times did they fall into idolatry even in the book of numbers? I think it was twice or three times. (laughs) I mean, that's with God's presence literally there because it does say that God's presence never left them like in the form of the the cloud and the fire. I, I don't actually know. I, I may, might be wrong about this, but I think his presence only left them once and it was after the uh, the whole idolatry with the golden calf. But I might actually even be wrong about that. It's possible that his presence was just at a distance more so than just completely leaving them. I'm not sure about that, so don't quote me. But otherwise, it basically says that God's presence was always with the Israelites, either in the form of the cloud or the pillar of fire. So, I mean, if the Israelites are going off and doing idolatry, while God's presence is like literally in front of them, what's going to happen when when God's presence leaves? Because once the Israelites cross over into the promised land, the pillar of fire and the the pillar of cloud go away, right? I mean, God's presence was supposed to stay inside that temple. So, I mean, this was going to be tough for the Israelite people. But regardless of the fact that it was going to be tough, God still expected his people who took a vow to him to uphold their end of the bargain because they are holy, they are set apart. So they need to act differently than all the other nations. And that's what the law was. The law was how to act differently. In other words, how not to fall into evil behavior like the other pagans were doing at the time. God was showing his people basically how to live a holy life through the law. So it says, for you are a holy people to Yahweh God, and Yahweh has chosen you to be a people for his own possession above all peoples who are on the face of the earth. 
And he, the first verse actually starts out by saying, you shall not cut yourselves nor make any baldness between your eyes for the dead. <laughs> so that was, that sounds funky to us now, but basically all of these things were common ways for pagan mourners to express their sadness. They would uh, shave the tops of their heads and then they would also cut themselves. And so God is saying, because you are holy, because you are set apart, don't do this for your dead. Don't do as the pagans do. And I mean, there's a verse in the New Testament that Christians have hope when other Christians die. So we shouldn't mourn like other people do. And I mean, that's in the New Testament where Paul says that, that we should be expressing our sorrow differently than other people do. Because other people who have no hope, who when they lose a family member, they think they lost that family member forever, regardless of if that person was a Christian or not, but they have no hope. They have no hope whatsoever because they don't believe in God. So what Paul is trying to express to modern day Christians is that we shouldn't be mourning for the death of others the way other people do. Because even through that, we can, in a way, shine the light when people see that we are not mourning the same way as other people do. My mom is a fantastic example of this, actually, because she, in 2019, lost both of her parents within two months. So my grandpa died in October of 2019, and then my grandma died, I think it was December 9th of 2019. And my mom was extremely different with the way she mourned for her parents. And I'm not exaggerating when I say that. My mom actually told me, she sat me down and she's like, you know, I'm very sad to have lost my mom just recently. And she said, but when I heard that my mom had passed away, part of me was like, wow, she did it. She went through life, she finished it and she is in heaven. And like, I'm getting teary just thinking about it because I was very close to my grandma. But like, I don't know. I think that uh, th- that was just really awesome the way my mom handled it it was extremely different from the way other people mourn their family members that I have seen in my lifetime and so I mean I I have no doubt actually that both my grandparents are in heaven and I'm very very thankful for that for that both my grandparents I believe are saved and I know for sure my grandma was but just watching my mom go through that and losing her parents so close together, but yet not mourning for them the way other people do, to me was a witness. Like her faith honestly kind of made my faith a little bit stronger with that. And I mean, that's kind of what Paul is expressing, that Christians don't need to mourn the same way that other people do because Christians have faith. They have faith that when their family members die, and if those family members are Christians, that they're going to see them again. And this is kind of the same thing with what God is expressing to his people. Here he's saying, don't mourn like the pagans do that have no hope for their their family members that died. Don't mourn that way because you do have hope. But moving on here in verses 3 through 20, God starts talking about how his people were once again supposed to be separated from the pagans by what they eat now. 
And I mean, think about this also in cultural terms. Back in these days, I can imagine that there was a lot more diseases. Animals had a lot more sicknesses. The people back in these days didn't understand about germs. They didn't understand about cooking meat to a proper temperature. They didn't understand a lot of things that we know now because of very modern science, honestly. (laughs) They didn't understand about pasteurization, none of this stuff. So God is laying it out like, you know, look, these animals, some animals are clean and others are not. And so he goes through the animals that are clean. And basically, the animals that are clean are the ones that have the hoof split and also choose the cud. So the ones that people can eat have to fall under both of those categories. For example, you know, cows, sheep, goats, deers, gazelle. I don't know what a roebuck is. Some sort of deer, it sounds like. A wild goat, an ebex. Also don't know what that is. I'm sorry. Antelope and camois. Camois? <laughs> what is a camois, I wonder? I'm going to look this up. A camois is an agile goat antelope with short hooked horns found in mountains. Hmm. So it's like a mountain goat antelope. (laughs) So yeah, basically all those things was what the people were able to eat. And they had to chew the cud and they had to have a split hoof. Then God goes into how if they fall into one category, then you can't eat them. For example, the pig. The pig has the split hoof, but they don't chew the cud. And I actually looked into pork. Just because of today's episode, I I decided to look into pork. And it's funny how mixed everything is about pork, even to this day. A lot of doctors actually say that uh, pork is quite unhealthy for you, even now. And you have to cook it to the proper temperature And not a degree lower, because if you go a degree lower than the proper temperature, you can get extremely sick. And it like went into all this stuff that can happen if you cook if you eat uh, undercooked pork. You can get like hepatitis and cirrhosis of the liver, all sorts of crazy stuff that I didn't I didn't recognize. And maybe I'll link that. I think that was a Healthline article that I was reading. I might link that in the bio of this podcast episode if I remember to do that. (laughs) But yeah, that was an interesting article I read about eating pork and and just pig meat in general is not super healthy for you. But honestly, I'm I'm really not shocked about that. I was eating bacon for a while there. (laughs) We actually, my husband and I, we cut bacon out of our diet um, recently because we were getting bad, bad headaches, both of us, every time we ate bacon. And I mean, I love bacon. I'm not going to lie. I still eat bacon on occasion, like a BLT or something like that, or bacon on my cheeseburger. I still eat it, but I can't eat it to the extent that I was eating it before. (laughs) My husband and I chalked it up to like the high sodium content of bacon, which very well could be, but it could have just been the bacon itself. We were eating too much of it. The pig meat isn't super good for you. Now, of course, you and I looking at this, We don't necessarily have to follow these laws anymore because we know that uh, through the New Testament, God says that what you eat cannot make you clean. Basically, we live by grace. We live by grace. And of course, I, I do know some people who follow the Old Testament 
rules about eating to this day, they think that it is very important and other Christians don't. And I mean, there's verses in the New Testament that do talk about if some Christians want to eat, let them eat. And if some Christians don't want to eat, then don't, you know, force them to eat or something like that. Don't judge them because they don't want to eat. So to me, this kind of just goes down to you and I nowadays, you know, we, we shouldn't judge each other. Like if somebody chooses to follow every rule on this list and wants to do that now, all power to them. But in the opposite sense, if somebody loves their bacon and wants to eat bacon, that is also your choice because we do live under grace now. So these rules don't necessarily apply to us. But um, going into more of this list, I found out that hares and rabbits are different. I really had no clue. I was like, why does it mention a rabbit twice? Because I, I truly thought that hares and rabbits were the same thing. Turns out they're not. They're a totally different species. They just look similar. But yeah, the hares and rabbits are different. And according to this, hares and rabbits are not uh, kosher foods. They are not clean foods. But then in verse 9, God goes into the food that the people may eat of the sea or of the waters rather anything that has both fins and scales so it can't have just one it has to have both both fins and scales so this means basically any type of fish really except for catfish and so i decided to look up catfish to see if there's any particular issues with eating catfish and it turns out there is though i guess honestly you guys could argue with me and say like you could probably do that for any animal (laughs) (laughs) And you could find something on it that makes it unhealthy. And I I do agree with that. But just out of curiosity, because catfish is not included in this list, it's not considered a clean food. I did want to see why it's not considered clean. And it's because apparently it has a lot of omega-6 in it. And I guess omega-6 is really bad for your heart because omega-3, which is what other fish have, is quite good for you. But omega-6 is quite bad for your heart which I found rather interesting. But once again, I, I I do know you could argue with me and say that, oh, well, you could find that about cow, you know, like beef. <laughs> and I know I could, but out of curiosity. Anyway, it says basically anything that has both fins and scales of the sea or the waters you may eat. And then it goes into the birds and the birds that are unclean. God just gives a list of He says the ones that are unclean are basically all sorts of owls, falcons, um, hawks, seagulls, pelicans, vultures, storks. So it kind of looks like anything that is carnivorous out of the birds is what people aren't supposed to eat. (laughs) I actually, um, I don't know if I've mentioned this on the podcast before, but this was really, really disturbing to me a while back. At the old house, we, I don't know what it was about the old house, but it was like a rabbit mating ground. We had so many rabbits at our old property. I don't know why. We always had rabbits in the yard. Like I remember we would count the rabbits and play a game. And I remember one time there was up to like 16 rabbits in our property. And one time I was doing dishes and looking out the window and all of a sudden I see these two black ravens torturing these rabbits and they were like picking them up and throwing them and I seriously freaked out and I ran outside and shoot away 
the the ra- the ravens and like that was really disturbing to me i'm not joking <laughs> that was extremely disturbing but i'm definitely digressing here but maybe that's why god says like don't eat these like carnivorous birds and ravens are included on here um because I mean, they probably eat just all sorts of crazy stuff. I mean, vultures, they eat roadkill that's been sitting there for like five days. Like I see vultures and ravens and, you know, all these other hawks. I see them eating all sorts of crazy stuff on the side of the road. And I mean, I can imagine that that's not super good and healthy for people to consume, though I don't know anybody that eats owl meat or seagull meat or hawk meat. I don't know any thing of that, but I'm sure somewhere in the world they do. But what I found most interesting was that the bat was included in this. And we know nowadays that the bat is not a bird, but God includes it as a bird. And really, I think that's God stooping down to the level of where the people were at the time, not explaining to them that, you know, a bat is actually a mammal, (laughs) but just, you know, they would have assumed that a bat, if they saw it, was a bird. They just would have so God includes it on the list of the birds. We see that God sometimes do does that. It actually does that quite often where he just uh, brings it down to the level of where the people are then. But anyway, of those birds, the people weren't allowed to eat, but all the clean birds they may eat. And then verse 21 to conclude here, basically he tells the people don't eat anything that dies by itself because you don't know what it died of. Don't eat anything that dies by itself. He says, though, however, you may give it to foreigners that are living among you because the foreigners living among the people didn't always have the same rules as the people of Israel because they may have not integrated into Israeli society yet. And so because they don't have the same rules, God does not hold them to the same rules. And so he says a foreigner may eat of that. You may give it to a foreigner. You may sell it to a foreigner, but you don't do it. And that's kind of how God ends this. Actually, he ends it with, you shall not boil a young goat in its mother's milk. But that, once again, is just telling the people, don't live like the surrounding nations. Don't do what they do. Don't eat the same things that they eat. And don't mourn the same way ways that they mourn. Because as God's people, they are set apart as holy. They are set apart as different. And really, same thing as you and I today, because you and I are set apart as holy, as different, as separate. We should also be acting that way. However, we live under the New Testament promise of grace. So we do have different rules than the Old Testament law. But what I'm really trying to say is that it's not much different from the people of the Old Testament, though they were under a completely different law. It was still the same principle because they are holy, because they are set apart. They are supposed to be living differently than the rest of the world. Well, faithful listeners, I hope you enjoyed this episode. Please uh, check all the links in the bio of the podcast episode. Go over to the YouTube channel and check it out and subscribe to it if you would like to. And also, if you go to the website, I'm still giving away two free chapters of my book, Out of the Mire, when you subscribe to the email list. But friends and faithful listeners, I just want to thank you all so, so much for just tuning in and enjoying this podcast episode. I love hearing from you guys. I love the notes that you send me. So I just want to take a minute to thank all of you because I really, really do appreciate you guys. 
But you know what? Tomorrow I'm going to be in the book of John. So tune in tomorrow, 6 a.m. or whenever you wake up. Friends and faithful listeners, happy listening and God bless.